<sighs> okay, here we go. My guest on this episode is Laura Gian Gregorio, PhD, Research Chair in Mobility and Aging at the University of Waterloo. Her work has led to the development of the Too Fit to Fracture Exercise and Physical Activity Recommendations for Individuals with Osteoporosis. Her aim is to reduce the burden of osteoporotic fractures, which is of particular interest to me, and you'll find out why very soon. And I think it'll be of interest to you as well, which is why I invited Laura Gian Gregorio here to the podcast. My name is Brock Armstrong. Welcome to Second Wind Fitness. But before we get started... As you've probably noticed, this podcast is no longer in production, but there are so many people who are still listening to each episode and reaching out to me for advice and help and support that I've decided to keep the dream and this podcast alive, which means I'm paying a few maintenance fees out of my pocket. And I don't mean to make this sound like a woe is me kind of affair, because it is indeed a pleasure to have created something that is being appreciated. But... If you felt so inclined, you could go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee to, yes, as it sounds, buy me a virtual coffee. And since coffee is easily my biggest vice, I'm what you would call a coffee snob, if you buy me a coffee, I can pay my hosting fees with all the coffee money that I save. So win-win situation here. So go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee and help keep this podcast and my fancy coffee habit alive. That's brockarmstrong.com slash coffee. So I've always said that this podcast is for, as I like to put it, people in the second half of their first century on this planet. I think that's a, a fun way to say that we're over 50. Yeah. But I recently was diagnosed with osteoporosis myself after a, a well, intense but brief bout with corticosteroids. So I have quite a, a renewed passion to talk about this subject. So I'm really excited to have you here on the podcast. Thank you so much for, for joining us. I know the audience is going to get a ton of information from you. So this is going to be great. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. So let's start right from the beginning here. You're, you've got a lot of education and you've worked in kinesiology and stuff for a long time. So how did you, how and why did you end up going in, in this specific direction and becoming such a, a leader in the in bone strength and balance and aging populations? Well, it was a bit of a not straight journey. I started in <laughs> kinesiology at the University of Waterloo for my undergraduate degree, and I originally wanted to be a physical therapist. And I volunteered in a physio clinic, and I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. I felt uh, patient care, just like actual hands-on patient care, wasn't uh, what I wanted. I, I liked the idea of it, but not all the time. And so I explored a bunch of different other possible careers using internships and volunteer positions. And the thing I liked the most was doing my honors thesis. Mm -hmm. So I, I had a supervisor and I did an honors research project and I really enjoyed, it was funny actually, because back then you actually had to go to the library to read research articles. And so <laughs> I really enjoyed holding up in the library and reading articles and thinking about them and writing. 
and just the, the stimulation and the new ideas. And so I ended up going to do a master's degree and somehow rolled into the PhD program. And then I was doing research on bone health and people with spinal cord injury and rehabilitation and met with some other mentors in the osteoporosis world and just started doing more, more work in that area. And I really saw a need for practical research that addressed some of the gaps that were there. So there was lots of studies done in postmenopausal women and in kids when it came to exercise and bone health. But even those, there were some issues with methodological quality and there were very few uh, studies that helped guide you know, what we would do in people who had osteoporosis. And and, and bone is really interesting because it changes really slowly. So it's really hard to study. So um, they're really hard studies to do. And I just, I was really interested in that. So I just kind of continued in that field and um, tried to fill some of those gaps. That's very interesting. That's sort of the um, the opposite of the problems that usually happen are all the studies are done on young, healthy men, rather than all the studies are done on kids and, and older women. Yeah. That's, uh, it's great that there are some studies that are being done. And I know that that shift is happening, but it is really frustrating sometimes when you can't find the study done on the population that you really want to focus on or that you're really um, interested in, isn't it? Yeah. And I think um, as well, a lot of exercise studies tend to be really small and they don't always use the same kind of study designs that we would like to use. So there's lots of studies looking at correlations between physical activity and bone health, but not as many sort of clinical trials testing mm. interventions to see what is actually effective for, for increasing bone mass or uh, preventing fractures. So we do have, there's lots of data on how to prevent falls, mm. but those are often done in fairly older people who are at risk of falls. And so it's a different population as well. So it's now kind of thinking about doing studies to fill in some of those gaps or even studies to help us understand how to move research into the real world. So that part of my research is is what we call knowledge mobilization or implementation science. So, okay, if we have guidelines, mm -hmm. how do we get people to use them? And so there's actually a whole field of study in how to get people to use research. Yeah. Oh man. As a coach, I've spent so many years trying to like show people the research and be like, Hey, look, see, it's scientifically proven now go do it. Yeah. And that's sort of where it stops because they're like, okay, yeah, I understand that. But how do I incorporate that into my life? Like I've been living for 50, 60, 70 years in a certain way. And now you just want me to suddenly like start an exercise program. What does that even mean? What does that look like? How do I do that? Yeah. So yeah, the, the how is often even more important than the why in some some cases, isn't it? Right. So before we get any further, let's really just get to the nitty gritty of like osteoporosis. What what the heck is it? Why does it occur? Just the, the Coles notes version, I guess, because I'm sure that you could write a whole, well, you probably have written a whole thesis on that. Well, I mean, if we think about the definition, the definition is when you have reduced bone strength and an increased risk of fracture. And that can be based on bone mineral density, but as well, it can also be based on bone quality, which is mm. a term that kind of covers everything but bone density, like the, the material properties of your bone and how the structure of your bone and all these bones and all these other things. But in terms of, you know, how does it develop? That's a bit complicated. So as we're growing, we kind of build bone up into about a peak bone mass. We get to like the most bone mass you're, you're usually going to have is when you're in your 20s, right? And then as you reach your 40s, you start to lose bone mass and that's called age-related loss. Mm. But then you can also have losses related to other things. Like if you go on a medication, like you mentioned, that can yeah. cause bone loss or uh, women around the age of menopause tend to have a few years of accelerated bone loss during menopause. 
there's also many, many other conditions and medications that can cause bone loss. And so you can start becoming at increased risk of fracture when your bone mineral density or bone strength reaches a point where you will have a fracture during an event that wouldn't normally cause a fracture. But technically, osteoporosis is defined based on having a certain level of bone mineral density. So when your bone mineral density T-score is equal to or less than minus 2.5. Yeah, mine was minus 2.7. Yeah. So um, this is something that they measure on a bone mineral density scan. Um, But not all people, some people will have fractures at um, a higher bone density. So you don't necessarily have to reach that number to then be at risk. So some people, you know, if they start losing bone and let's say their T-score is minus two, they might still be at increased risk of fracture compared to someone whose bone density was higher. And so there's a number of other factors that that influence fracture risk, not just bone mineral density, like how often you fall or whether or not you're exposed to risk factors that increase your risk of fracture independent of bone density. So things like being really low body weight or having a high alcohol intake, smoking, and those sorts of things can increase your fracture risk, even if your bone density is not quite at that level, right? Right. So so is it possible to have a low bone min- mineral density, but still have the higher strength bones? That's a really good question. So some people might have less bone mass because they're smaller, but the structure of their bone is such that you know, it's designed to be greater strength. So I'm trying to think of a good example. I, I can think of an opposite example. Maybe that might help. Okay. There was a person in one of my studies who had a spinal cord injury very early in life, like around birth, right? They grew to be six feet tall, but they had a spinal cord injury, so they never really walked very much, right? They could stand, but not with, with assistance, but they couldn't walk. And because of that, so weight bearing or the amount of physical activity you get when you're a kid often influences how wide your bones get, so the structure of your bones. And so his bones were actually really, really narrow because he wasn't doing regular weight bearing, right? right? So he developed and became six feet tall, but he had really skinny, narrow bones, And so his bones, even though his bone mineral density was normal, his bones were really narrow and that would increase his risk of fracture because wider bones are less likely to break than narrow bones. Does that make sense? That does. That's a really, really great way to explain it. And it also leads really well to what I was going to ask you next anyway, which is, it sounds like obviously this, this person was in a wheelchair, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. and wasn't moving around or weight bearing or doing a lot of exercise. So how can movement actually, or how does, I guess, more more specifically, how does movement and weight bearing and stuff keep our bones strong? It's a really good question. And I think a lot of it depends on, you know, what age you are, what stage in your life and what you're able to do. Um, so we know that people who are exposed to higher impact or higher magnitude loading on their bones when they're before puberty tend to develop more bone mass. Mm. So that's a really great time, you know, as a kid, lots of exercise, lots of impact exercise and adequate nutrition to make Mm. sure that you reach the highest peak bone mass that you can. And then, you know, you want to try to prevent things that will cause bone loss. So ideally making sure you're getting adequate calories, adequate calcium, adequate vitamin D. And then it's thought that, you know, regular loading on bones can help maintain bones. And so there's kind of two ways to do that. So one is with muscle pulling on bones and the other is kind of ground reaction forces. So if I jump, I'm placing a force on the ground and the ground is reacting back to me. So the higher, the harder I jump, the harder those grand reaction forces are. And so it's thought that, you know, higher magnitude ground reaction forces or higher frequency forces tend to 
place loads on bone and the bones then have to adapt and get stronger. And so it's thought that if you're doing those things and or resistance training where you're using high muscle forces, right, they tend to, it may preserve bone. But there's a bit of a catch there because certain activities seem to be associated with higher bone strength than others. So for example, soccer players um, are high forces, changing directions a lot. They seem to have really a lot higher leg bone density, but like long distance runners tend not to. And so there's other factors that can affect that. So what, for example, if you're a long distance runner, a lot of those elite long distance runners tend to have really low body weight. Right. And if you think about it, they're burning a lot of calories, right? So if they're not eating enough or if they're very, very thin, their bones might adapt to say, well, we need to be thinner and lighter to be able to run faster, right? Mm-hmm. So so you kind of have to find a balance where you're doing physical activities that maintain bone mass, but not uh, doing activities that might also promote bone loss. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And I, I really like the fact, or it's interesting, and and I think a little bit unknown. Maybe not people who follow your work would probably, would obviously know this, but that there are those two different things. Like I think people always think of the weight bearing exercises, like going for more walks and and not doing things like aqua size, like doing jazzer size on land, so the gravity is pulling on you and stuff. But that idea that muscle pulling on bone also has a really great effect. That's that just speaks right to my heart, which is I, I want everybody to be thinking about their strength and doing more resistance training and not necessarily going to a gym loading up a big barbell and putting it across your back because yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. It's pretty intimidating. Yeah. But but also just doing um doing some other uh, strengthening exercises. The problem though, I think, is that in people who have low bone mass, there's way fewer studies. Okay. And so um it's based on the studies that we have, we may need to combine impact and resistance training, and it may need to be fairly moderate to high intensity. So a lot of people think, well, if I just do my body weight squats, I should be fine. But in fact, those types of exercises have not been shown to increase bone mass. So you Mm -hmm. may actually have to load up the barbell (laughs) to be able to see the adaptations that you want to see, Um, especially like if you are like, so there's that balance too, right? Like some people, you know, especially if you're, you're, uh, have a lot of musculoskeletal injuries or pain, it may be harder to do some of those things. You have to find a balance in terms of what you can do, but also like making sure you have that progressive overload and challenge. But the studies that have shown an effect on bone mineral density in people with low bone mass tend to use a moderate to high intensity uh, stimulus. So for example, walking would not be enough of a stimulus or even some of those dance kind of routines unless there's a moderate to high impact. And impact alone, we're not sure if it's effective because there are very few studies that do that, (laughs) that look at just impact alone. Most of them combine resistance and impact exercise. Um, But even the resistance programs tend to be fairly challenging and have progressive overload. So if people are able to try those types of exercises and progressively increase the challenge over time, which may mean, you know, adding some weight that that would probably be more effective. And it sounds like not just adding some weight, but adding some challenging weight to the to the workouts or maybe a resistance band or something that does take it from that comfortable workout to slightly uncomfortable style workout? Yeah, like I said, so most of the programs that have shown an increase in bone mass usually are supervised and there's progressive overload and it probably goes beyond body weight and TheraBand exercises. So they tend to use a more moderate to high intensity and they are using weights or machines to, to stimulate bone mass, like to stimulate, to, to cause a, a high enough stimulus to muscle 
um, so that there is that muscle growth and, and muscle pulling on bone. Yeah, I I did a deep dive into I I love the name of the program, the Two Fit to Fracture. That was immediately appealing to me. I saw that and was like, that is for me. So yeah. I, I did a deep dive. I'm a Deborah, I think. Okay, that's that's my. For people who haven't seen this yet, there are there four. There's four avatars basically. Yeah, that you you exactly got it. Not a people get it, but the idea that the whole premise. So okay, I'll just back up. So okay. Two Fit to Fracture was an initiative to get some consensus from experts on what we should be doing um, when it comes to exercise for osteoporosis. It's not an exercise program per se, but kind of a a knowledge mobilization initiative where we try to get information out there about what we should be doing and what experts think we should be doing for exercise. But there are some guiding principles around what people should be doing. And then in that process of knowledge mobilization, um, we did a we did a lot of discussions with patients and with physicians and other healthcare providers around, you know, what are the barriers to communicating information about exercise to people with osteoporosis? And what often came up, especially among the physicians and healthcare providers, was like, you know, can you just tell me what exercises I should yeah, show them? Give me a list. <laughs> give, give me, me a, a list. And and the problem with that is that not all people with osteoporosis are equal. And so there's no one exercise program for people with osteoporosis. There isn't one. So the idea was that we would care we would show four different stories and um, show how they started their journey with exercise. And they all had different starting points and different goals all of those people would still probably want to progress their exercise program over time, right? So in someone, for example, who is very sedentary, who has vertebral fractures, who has really um, kind of barriers, you know, initiating an exercise program in terms of mobility and that sort of thing, I'm going to start them in a very different place. And maybe my goals for that person might be fall prevention and, you know, strengthening their muscles to be able to improve their physical functioning rather than trying to increase their bone density because that fits better with their goals. But if you have someone like Deborah, who was really worried about fracturing and really wanted to do things to increase her bone strength, then her starting point might be different. So she might be the one to say, okay, I'm going to start an exercise program where I learn to lift weights and I learn to do activities that involve impact so that I can do my best to maintain the bone mass that I have. But the idea is that everyone's going to have different goals and abilities and preferences, and we have to honor those things um, when we're designing an exercise program. And it, you know, just because I might want to, everybody to try to increase their bone mass with strength <laughs> training, it doesn't mean everybody values that. And right. I have to respect that, right? That that maybe maybe this person that's not their goal at this point in their life. They just want to be able to do their dishes and lift their laundry better, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, it's just being transparent about. Okay, align the exercises with your goals. So I would say for all people, we would recommend balance training at least twice a week or more um, because there's very strong evidence that we can prevent uh, falls with exercise, but it has to be those specific types of exercises that challenge your functional stability limits and your dynamic stability and and um, what we call kind of anticipatory control. So if you think about like if you were to go stand on one foot, you would shift your body weight just innately to yeah. be able to Im- improve your balance, right? So you're anticipating that that change in balance and you're making shifts accordingly. Or if you were to go upstairs, you do the same thing. So there's exercises to train those things. So we would recommend that for everybody because we probably – think that it will work for everybody and it's things that people can do and it's feasible. Um, And then probably muscle strengthening because our guidelines recommend muscle strengthening. But for those people who really have a strong interest in increasing bone mass, I might place a heavier emphasis on 
strengthening, I might add some impact exercise, and I might progress them to a more moderate to high intensity because that's their goal. So I think that's kind of what the two fit to fracture guidelines are getting at is like figuring out, you know, what are the outcomes that you're interested in? And then, you know, recommending exercises accordingly. So some people are like, I really want to work on my posture. So I'm like, okay, well, if that's the case, then you want to work on exercises for back extensor endurance, right? Oh, that's so smart because we do tend to, or at least in, in the past, even before I had any sort of bone density problems, I was just thinking like, it's all about strengthening the bones, just always strengthen the bones. But you're right. There's so many more factors like mobility, agility, balance, all play a factor in whether or not those low bone density scores will ever impact your life in any way. That's right. Because that's really the crux of it is trying to mitigate the impact that has on your life. It's not necessarily, you don't get a goal, you don't get an award for crossing the finish line with the highest bone density, Yeah, but we do want to avoid those fractures and stuff, especially later in life. Well, the vast majority of fractures occur due to falls. So if you can prevent the falls, you can prevent a lot of fractures. Although there are some fractures, especially those of the spine that can occur in activities that uh, that aren't a fall. So, um, you know, for example, lifting heavy things or twisting really rapidly or, you know, trying to shut a really stuck window, those can put compressive forces on the spine that then can cause spine fractures, which can be quite painful. But spine fractures also occur due to falls as well. Yeah. So for some people, it's about learning how to adjust the movements they do every day so that they can avoid spine fractures, um, but also doing exercises to target back extensor muscles so that those muscles can support their spine. Okay, there's so much more I want to talk to you about, but right now we need to go and pay our membership fees. Do you like to shop on Amazon.com and enjoy supporting this podcast? You do? Well, have I got a deal for you. If you start your Amazon shopping adventure by going to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon, I will get a small percentage of the money that you spend. And the best part is that you don't pay anything extra. This all comes out of their pockets. Take that, Bezos. So next time you buy anything on Amazon, go to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon and shop while also supporting this podcast. I truly thank you for being a listener and for your support. That's brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon. So I know you said that there is no one exercise program, and I totally understand why, why you say that. But there are some groups out there, especially uh, there was an Australian group, and I'm forgetting yep. the name of it. Lift that, more. It's um, the Lift More program. Yeah. And they basically give a prescription of like, I think it's five movements. Mm-hmm. to do is like aside from what we were just talking about is if it fits in say my world because I've always worked out I'm I'm quite strong I, I I'm quite agile and stuff is there a reason that somebody like me shouldn't do a protocol like that well not knowing your health history and other things it's hard for me to answer that <laughs> yes, question but I will say not asking I can... for medical advice I just want to make sure yeah you know that and the listeners know that yeah but I can say that Um, for the otherwise healthy person who has low bone mineral density that is doing the program under the supervision of someone who is trained. Um, I see no reason why, and it's a great program. The the exercises they do is very similar to what I do in the gym. Mm -hmm. So 
I always advocate if you're going to start a strength training program, pick a push exercise, a pull exercise, a hinge exercise, a squat exercise, and some sort of press exercise. And then ideally also a carry type exercise or something for your back extensors and shoulder stabilizers and that sort of thing. That's a simple program that anyone can do because there's all kinds of variations. Like, so someone who has poor mobility could do a sit to stand in a chair instead of a squat, whereas someone who's really fit could do a back squat and load up the weights. So it very much, the lift more program very much aligns with what I would recommend. I, I think the, the issue would be it requires some instruction on how to do the specific exercises that they, the versions of those exercises that they choose, because they kind of pick those versions, right? Those exercises. And then the exercise, uh, safe progression of the weight, because I think the distinguishing feature in that exercise program is not the exercises that are chosen, but the intensity that the exercises are mm -hmm. done. So they, within the first one to two months, they will progress people to an intensity of what we call 85% of one RM or repetitions maximum. So yeah. what that means is they're doing the exercise at an intensity where the person can only do about five or six repetitions. So after six, they're completely fatigued and they yeah. cannot do any more. So you can imagine if you are a pretty fit person who knows how to do a squat, the amount of weight you would have to load to be only able to do six repetitions. And then they do five sets of that. They do five sets of five repetitions at an intensity where you can only do six. So you're close to your max yeah. at each set. So it's very so it's the intensity that distinguishes that program, not so much the exercises. Yeah. And okay. they do all of the exercises at that intensity. So it's it's not an easy program. It's not a big, for me, like you would need to do that first initial period where you learn how to do the exercise, which they do, um, and then progress people to that level. And then they're constantly increasing the weight as people get better. So for me, I, I would 100% recommend that type of program for someone who's otherwise healthy, who has the ability to seek out the supervision that is required to do that program properly. And there's no reasons why they shouldn't. So there's no health reasons why they shouldn't. So where I might get a little bit worried is, for example, one of the exercises is an overhead press, right, mm -hmm. with weight. A lot of people who are older have shoulder problems. Yeah. So then you would need someone to modify the press exercise because the overhead press, you really need a good shoulder range of motion to do properly. But there's no reason why you couldn't modify it. So I would do like what we call a landmine press or an incline press instead. But again, you need someone to go, you, you know, because of your shoulder, you need to do a different exercise. And so I think the barrier in implementing that program is just the need for supervision because not everyone has access to yeah. professionals to teach them how to do it. People who have very severe osteoporosis or have existing fractures and have pain, they would need a very cautious approach to a program like that. Uh, people who are falling a lot, I would probably prioritize balance training um, mm. in those people before starting a program like that. But I would eventually get them doing some resistance training and eventually, I think it's, it's a continuum for me. So yeah. for me, um, some people can start closer to that exercise program on the continuum than other people based on their baseline abilities and um, medical conditions. That makes complete sense. And in, in fact, I went to the, the gym the other day with that protocol in mind and I was talking to one of the coaches at the gym and, and said, oh, which, um, which pull-up bar should I use for that one exercise where you jump up, grab the bar, do a pull up and then drop mm. down to the ground. And she was like, Oh, sh I don't know if you should be doing that exercise. When was the last time you like jumped off of something really tall? And I was like, Oh yeah, you're right. right. It's probably been like 
five years, 10 years, maybe since I did a really like was jumping off things all the time. So, so this is, that's, that's exactly my concern is that you can't start just doing the jumps that you might see someone in a video of that program doing, and they don't start them there either. Right. So they start people just with the chin up bar in front of them, pulling up and just dropping their heels. Hmm. Right. Doing heel drops. And then eventually they just increase the height of the bar over time. Right. So it, it, any sort of plyometrics or jumping type exercise really requires some conditioning and adequate training. So you have to start at a place where you condition your muscles to be able to um, get used to that impact and then eventually progress them to being able to, to do those types of activities. And in essence, you're sort of conditioning your bones to be able to with and you know cartilage and all that and right. ligaments and tendons to do that. Because you start that at a too high level, you will develop tendinopathy very quickly. Right. So um you it's not okay to just jump in and start doing, you know, jump off, jumping, drop, tra- drop jumps without some conditioning, in my opinion. And 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 the team that ran the Liftmore study knows that and they do that. And so if you read the fine print in their methods, they do start people, uh, even in some of their videos, they start people at a kind of heel drop level and then eventually progress them upwards. Yes. I'm guilty of scrolling to the end and looking, okay, what's the protocol? Got it. Yeah. <laughs> and started to do it. Yeah. That's, and you know, this all sounds so familiar to an endurance coach like me, I do the same thing with my runners. I don't just immediately send them out for a 5K run. No. We spend a lot of time building up to to even going for a run. Like there's an awful lot of strengthening and mobility and stuff that ha- has to happen first. And it's really no different. But okay, a couple of times now you've brought up the back extensor exercises and also balance. Now, what are some examples of of exercises that would benefit those types of things? Because I think they they're unfamiliar to me, so I'm sure the audience is wondering the same thing. Yeah. So when we think about balance, we think about your ability to maintain balance while moving around, or anticipate, you know, movements and and adjust your body accordingly, or be able to react to things. So, for example, if you step on something slippery, that you can react and adjust yeah. your position. And also, if you are kind of reaching for something that you have stability, despite the fact that you might be reaching the limits of your stability, right? So we think about exercises that challenge those things. So, you know, for example, if I'm going to take my foot and step onto a step and step back down again, right? So toe tapping on a bench, that would be like an easy version. Okay. Whereas, you know, trying to do, uh, you know, a lunge, you know, is a bit more challenging, right? Um, Or things like, you know, if you are kind of bending over and reaching for something and you kind of do, you know, a modified golfer's reach, you know what I'm talking about? Where you like sort of step forward, but to the, like to the side a little bit. It's, um, it's kind of like if I'm standing on one foot and I reach over and I let my other foot go behind me, kind of like an arabesque position, um, where I'm bending over to reach for something. If I'm reaching or I'm standing and I'm reaching for something, right. Or, um, you know, if I'm standing on a ladder and balancing precariously and then I'm reaching, these are the things we do in everyday life. So you have to actually train that skill, right? So it's, it's doing exercises that are aligned with that or things that, you know, where you're 
moving around really quickly and changing positions. So, you know, things like agility ladders, right? So those would be good for higher functioning people, right? And some people just need to practice standing stable in different positions, like on one foot or with their feet close together. Um, and then you can combine those things. You can have people stand on one foot and then reach, right? Or you can have people, you know, stand on both feet and reach to their limits of stability or reach upwards or reach down for something and move it to another spot on the floor, right? So it's, it's, exercises that kind of target those things that we need for good balance. Um, but you can also kind of combine resistance and balance exercises. So there's lots of exercises. So for example, if I do like a one-legged deadlift kind of movement, that's going to, you know, um, challenge my stability and I'm reaching, right? So it's, but I'm also strengthening my leg muscles at the same time, right? So yeah. um, there's ways to kind of combine those things for efficiency, um, you know, so that you can get the benefits of both strengthening and balance exercise. Okay. And then um, for back extensor, so when we think about, you know, posture and, you know, getting up off the floor and those kinds of things. We want good back extensor muscles, good spinal mobility. We want good, uh, we want the, the muscles that stabilize our shoulders to keep them in the right position and be able to help us lift up off the floor. And so we might think about doing, for back extensors, we might think about doing exercises that involve thoracic extension. So mm. if we think about a gentle chest, chest lift, any exercises that promote that type of movement. So the one I can think about is a bird dog. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but yep. when it's, you're on all fours and you extend your arm and your opposite leg. Yeah. But doing that properly is challenging. And again, it goes back to instruction, right? A lot of people will do it and then they'll like tip over or their pelvis will tip or they'll rotate or they'll um, let their chit, um, ribs pop out, right? So you want to think about, so if you sit right now and you kind of tuck your ribs in, so if you try to reach overhead, a lot of people will let their ribs pop out. So oh, you got to yeah. do that, but but keep your ribs in. And you see all of a sudden it's harder to reach forward, right? Yeah, my arm's coming forward instead of up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that's a good example where you could work on that, um, you know, mobility of your shoulder, but also that's working on the, the muscles that extend your spine, right? So it's less about rotating the ribs down and more about just not letting them rotate up. I think the way I like to think about it is if you think about like the top of your torso up until like the bottom of your ribs as one canister, and then the underneath your ribs to, down to the bottom of your pelvis as another canister, you want to keep them stacked. You don't want them oh, tipping. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's that's a great way to look at it. I love that. Yeah. That makes yeah. Total so, sense. so you want to keep them stacked. And so that's, that's going to require some core control. And so all the movement should be in your shoulders and your hips. So you extend one arm and the opposite leg. Okay. Well, and that sort of naturally leads my brain at least to this idea of axial loading. That's the other thing that... Uh, for us nerds who read the the research studies and stuff about bone density, they use this term axial loading all the time or skeletal loading. Yeah, I wouldn't really think about that as a form of exercise. Like axial loading just means like where the loading is applied. And so if we're thinking about the skeleton, it's like kind of up and down forces, right? Like that. And so, or force, you know, and when it comes to the spine, it'd be like forces that would be compressing the spine. So I don't necessarily think you want to kind of target exercises towards that. I think the way I would think about it is I would keep it much simpler. So I'd say, okay, you want some exercises that are going to challenge your balance and you want them to challenge dynamic stability, anticipatory control, uh, reactive control, and functional stability limits. So basically what that means in simple language is 
exercises that cause you to become unstable because you're reaching or you're moving to the limits of your stability or exercises where you're having to maintain balance while doing challenging movements or moving around or reacting to things that make you unstable. So playing catch with a grandchild or a neighbor, right? Where you have to react and move to the ball. Those, those would be examples. You want balance exercises and a minimum of twice a week, but honestly doing them frequently is great. Practicing different ones every day would be great. So that would be one. Number two, you want to challenge all of your major muscle groups with strength training at least twice a week. And you want to make sure that the exercises involve high effort. So you got to figure out where on that continuum you are and pick an exercise that's hard for you. And you want to have at least one push, one pull, one hinge, one squat, one press, and maybe even a carry. So uh, like a farmer's carry or suitcase carry kind of exercise. And then adding into that, you might want to add like a bird dog or some sort of extension exercise and one that works on your shoulder mobility um, to work on the muscle, the back extensor muscles and the shoulder stabilizers. So the push exercise in the strengthening will also work on the shoulder stabilizer. If you're doing like counter push-ups or if you're doing push-ups on the floor or if you're doing a bench press, those will also work on shoulder stability, right? So you get more bang for your buck there. So basically at least twice weekly, if not more balance training, at least twice weekly strength training with push, pull, hinge, squat, press, carry, maybe a bird dog or some sort of back extensor exercise. So that's where I would start for everyone, right? That keeps it simple. Now, if you are a person who has a goal of improving bone density and you want to maximize your chances, you might want to introduce some sort of impact exercise. And I would start low Make sure. So I would start the strength training program first. Do that for a while. Condition your muscles. Then start with some low impact training and progressively increase the impact over time. And ideally, you would get someone who knows about osteoporosis and who is a good strength coach to pick out exercises for you and and see them occasionally to progress those exercises. Because most of the studies that have shown to be effective have involved supervision. Yeah. So that's what I would say. And ongoing supervision. So learning how to do the movement properly in the first place, and then having those people checking in to make sure you're still doing them properly and also increasing the load. Making them harder. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And some people may want to try that higher intensity exercise, but most people can't start there. They yeah. need a period of adaptation. So for some people, it will be very hard to get them to back squats with weights because they have other health conditions or other reasons. Although I will argue, lots of people can do it who think they can't. Yes. So I'll give you a good example. I, I was running a study where we were recruiting people with different health conditions, like complicate, more complicated people um, to, to try a weight training program. And we had a woman who was very overweight. She had spinal stenosis. She had osteoporosis. She had one knee was replaced and the other knee had severe knee osteoarthritis and and she was waiting for knee replacement and, um, you know, was in pain and in her back and in her knee. And so I'm asking her to do squats and she's like, oh, I can't do that. That's going to hurt my knees. And so after some conversation, I said, you know, some people find it easier if they do a quarter squat and they put a little band around their knees to help them stabilize. And so we tried that. She thought, okay, I can do this. So we had her doing that. Eight weeks later, I had her goblet squatting 20 pounds, three sets of 10, no problem, right? And, you know, eventually could have gotten her with a bar on her back if we trained long enough. So I do think that people can eventually exceed their own expectations when it comes to strength training and exercise. But I think you do have to start where you're at. Yes. 
such good advice <laughs> for for so many reasons. Even if you don't have bone density problems, starting where you're at in your fitness journey is always going to benefit you in the long run. It's true. Yep. I heard you mention earlier you were talking about um, soccer players, mm-hmm. and and on another podcast I that I heard you on, you talked about tennis as well. Now both of those are are your running sort of short and intense and then changing directions mm-hmm. is that another thing that you'd add into into those protocols if the person is able to or has been doing them in the past like I'm a I'm a tennis player I love playing tennis I'm not that great but I really enjoy it is yeah, that so I continue to do even though I've got the minus 2.7 T score <laughs> It's really hard to say because, like I said, there's not studies that randomize people to tennis and no tennis to see if it increases bone density and see right. if it increases the risk of fracture. And you do people do walk that line of you want to challenge yourself, but you also then accept that risk of falling or other things. And so yeah. I think each individual has to decide, you know, use the information available to them. So they're individual ability. So you, so for example, if I was talking to somebody about whether they should still play tennis, the first question I ask is, have you ever played tennis before? Yeah, right? right. And if they haven't, I'd be like, mm, I'm probably wouldn't start if you have osteoporosis, right? Because I'd be worried about, you know, falling and fracturing. I would probably start with something a little less intense. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, if you've played tennis for years and are still playing tennis and haven't had a problem, you probably have good motor patterns and, and know your body, right? So I'd probably be like, if you really like tennis and you want to continue, understand that there is that risk that if you fall, you may fracture. And if you're willing to accept that risk and you want to play tennis, then play tennis, right? Um, Do what you can to reduce the risk. So don't play against people that are a lot better than you and that where you're going to, you know, your ego will get in the way and you'll try to do things that you probably shouldn't play at a pace that you know you can do and, and do things to reduce that risk. So don't play on slippery surfaces, have really good grippy shoes, good equipment, that sort of thing. Right. Um, in terms of whether or not you should do it to increase your bone density, that's harder for me to answer. Cause I, as I said, I don't have evidence that it will for sure do it. Yeah. I would say that, um, maybe it would, if from the impacts perspective, but I would probably still add the resistance training as well. I guess the sort of the overall message here, I got scared when I got this diagnosis and immediately was like, how am I going to, I'm going to throw the kitchen sink at this problem and I'm going to take control. And what I'm hearing is that's probably a bad approach (laughs) and I need to be a lot more measured in my approach and just take it slowly and focus on not just the things that are going to quote unquote, make my bones stronger, but focus on the things that are going to prevent the falls, prevent the the possibilities of a fracture, not just focus on on making sure that my bones are going to be as strong as I possibly can for the rest of my life. Well, I just think the one problem with focusing too much on bone density is that it's not always possible to have really big increases in bone density. So it mm-hmm. may not be a realistic goal for everyone. Right. So, um, but if you focus on improving your strength, improving your physical functioning, improving your balance, in addition to doing exercises that might maintain or increase your bone density, then you're getting a lot more out of it, um, than you would just, and, and and it's, it's maybe more realistic, um, uh, in terms of, you know, kind of shorter term goals and, and, and overall quality of life in terms of being able to then improve all those aspects of your life, right? Um, I think that's that's one thing to think about. I think that too many people focus on bone strength as the goal. Um, and then what happens is they'll do something and that doesn't change their bone density and then they're disappointed and they're discouraged, right? right? Yeah. And so I think 
I don't like that as a focus because it's not to say that you can't change it with exercise. It's possible you might. And some studies have shown that some people see increases in bone density with exercise. But I think that kind of focusing on exercises that will help maintain bone health or, or maybe improve it as well as preventing falls, getting you stronger, getting you able to train for life, right? Train yeah. for the things you want to do. So if you want to play tennis, do the balance exercises, do the strength training so your body is better prepared to play tennis and therefore you won't fall and hurt something even if you can't increase your bone density. Do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. That's the way I like to think about it rather than so much focus on bone density, which then may cause you to be disappointed later if you don't see the large increases that you think you have worked towards. Yeah. We often talk about on this podcast being people focus on weight loss as an outcome for their exercise program. And when they don't lose weight, they throw the exercise program out because they figure, well, this isn't achieving right. one goal that I want, forgetting about all the other wonderful benefits that they're getting from that exercise program. That's right. So it sounds like it's basically the same thing. Like even if you're not seeing the bone density, you're still getting all this multitude of other health, wellness, lifestyle benefits from the exercise program anyway, then focus on that. And arguably you're much more likely to prevent falls and fall related injuries with balance training and those types of programs than you are to increase your bone density and then have an effect on fracture risk. So it's a probably a more a better goal. Um, the other thing, I just want to talk about your weight loss comment. So exercise is not that great at causing weight loss. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so you make your fitness in the gym and your physique in the kitchen. So yes. it's all about what you're eating. And weight loss may not be the best goal as we, you know, approach, you know, middle age and older age, because every time you lose weight, you lose muscle, bone, and fat, right? So you may be losing bone mass, um, which you don't want. What you want to do is if you build stronger muscles, you're more likely to see them and look more shapely and look good in your genes. And probably you will be burning more calories and you might lose a little fat and you will look stronger and fitter. And in fact, there are studies that show that if you take obese older adults and you put them on a weight loss program, if you have some on a weight loss program only or some doing cardiovascular exercise, like aerobic exercise, like running, um, some doing strength training and some doing both, the groups that do strength training lose less bone and less muscle on a weight loss program than those that do running and all those other things. And so you know, strength training can also help to maintain bone bone mass when we're trying to lose weight, which is another good reason to do it. And I really think people should not focus on weight loss as they, in their 40s or older, unless that's a goal for, you know, other health reasons. But really, you're probably just focus on eating healthy and then exercising for fitness and, and making sure you do the strength training. And hopefully there will be those changes in body composition that you're looking for, not at the expense of bone. Oh, well said. That's, a, that, that's such a great way to look at it and a great way to approach it. Now, I have, I have one last question that maybe is a little too specific, but I did notice, and maybe other people have noticed this too, I, I expect they have, but when I got my report from my bone mineral density scan, I had a lower score in my spine than I did in my femoral head or my hip bone as yeah. I think it's probably more <laughs> likely known as, even though that's a, a misnomer. Is there a, a reason or a way that you should target the, like, should I be targeting my spine more than my hips or is that even possible? I mean, I'm sure it's possible. I think I would come back to, I would take the approach that I mentioned where you're doing exercises for all of your major muscle groups and then 
once you feel your condition, if you want to start to add the impact exercise, the impact exercise seems to have more of an effect on like programs like the lift more program seem to have more of an effect on spine bone density than hip bone density. Anyway, it's really hard to target your femoral neck, which is where we often fracture and where they take the bone density scan because there's no muscles that actually attach on the femoral neck. So it's actually really hard to target it. Um, So people try to target it inadvertently with impact exercise and that sort of thing. I would say I wouldn't necessarily change the exercise program just because you have a different bone density in your spine and your hip, because I think that that exercise program will benefit both. But I would say that adding the impact exercise would probably be helpful if you can do it. But I would start with the strength training first. Yeah. Um, condition your muscles, then slowly increase the impact or pick strengthening exercises that have a little impact like step ups as a starting point. But sometimes people will see changes in the spine because the spine has um, a lot of what we call trabecular bone, which is the type of bone that is kind of on the inside where the bone and it's right next to the bone marrow. And so it has it's more metabolically active because it's closer to like the bone marrow, which is very active. And and that's Mm. where, you know, you you get bone cells from. So um, we sometimes see changes there first, especially in people who've had glucocorticoids, which is what you had said that um, your exposure was. I suspected that was what we were going to say. And really it goes back to that whole thing that we've been talking about, which is don't focus so much on the bone density, focus on the other stuff, the agility, the mobility, the balance, the strength. And then if the bone density does increase, extra bonus. But yeah. if it doesn't, you're still you're still good. You're still protecting yourself in in some really important ways. I think in general, I would recommend all older adults do balance training, do strength training, you know, that sort of, and then, you know, incorporate lots of different types of physical activity and ideally a, a variety of them. Yeah. I think the only difference I would say with people with osteoporosis is one is being mindful of those things that would increase your fracture risk. But two, you may have to progress the intensity towards a moderate to high impact and, and moderate to high intensity for strength training if your goal is maintaining or improving bone mass. So that might be something that you need to think about if that's your goal, because most of the studies that have shown those changes um, have tended to be towards that level of intensity. But even still, like we don't know for sure, for example, if there's a difference between moderate intensity and high intensity. Like there's not studies that have kind of compared those things really well. And, and I'm going to just go back to the weight loss thing for just a second, because I actually really worry that um, as we get older, people are worried about how their body is changing and they think about trying to lose weight and they'll skip meals or they'll try to eat light. Um, And that sort of dietary restraint where we're trying to control our eating habits to achieve this, you know, weight loss or um, inadvertent under eating, right? Where, Mm -hmm. you know, you're a long distance runner and you, you burn a lot of calories. And although you eat good meals, you're maybe not eating to compensate for the calories you're burning or, you know, you, you're busy. And so you forget meals. And and those are the things that can contribute to bone loss over time, especially if you're not getting adequate calcium or protein to maintain the muscle and the bones that you have. So, um, I really encourage people to think about paying attention to making sure they're getting adequate protein, like at least a gram per kilogram body weight. And for people who are very active, 1.2 to 1.6 grams of protein per kilogram body weight for, um, to maintain muscle. Um, and then thinking about, you know, getting adequate calcium, but through food ideally and not supplements. Right. Yeah. I've been focused on that as well. Just upping my, the 
calcium laden foods in my diet rather than taking a calcium supplement because there's a whole bunch of indications that that can be not the greatest way to to get calcium but i think people always talk about vitamin d and calcium for bone strength but they forget about protein so i'm so glad you brought that up so i would say that there's not strong evidence that having increased protein is going to prevent fractures so i'll put that out there like there isn't so not on its own not without not on its own but even with exercise there's not strong evidence um, okay. but, but we do know that, you know, you need to get at minimum the, the recommended daily allowance, which is 0.8 grams per kilogram body weight, at least in Canada, that's what it is. Yes. You Americans will have to do the conversion yourself. <laughs> yeah. But there are experts, you know, there are people who, uh, experts in muscle physiology who think that if you are active or if you're older, you might need more. And, um, and also that you need to divide it up throughout the day. So, so yeah. a lot of people get their protein at dinner, but actually wake up in the morning, have your protein in the, um, lunchtime, make sure you're getting some, you know, through your snacks and then in dinner as well. So once again, we're sort of back to that idea that you summed up so well in the, the name of the program, just becoming too fit to fracture, which again, I absolutely love that just for everything that we've talked about in this, this whole episode it really ties back to that. So how can people find that program and find out more about you and get some more information about all the things that we've talked about? Where are the best places to do that? Yeah. So, I mean, Osteoporosis Canada's website has lots of information and they are coming out with new guidelines for the management of osteoporosis in 2023. So there'll probably be lots of new information on the website as well. And Too Fit to Fracture is um, kind of a starting place for information about exercise. I wouldn't say it's a program that one can follow because, yeah. as I mentioned, you kind of need to figure out what the right program is for you, And but it might give you some inspiration and ideas for how to start. Um, and there's some videos uh, like patient stories and kind of how they started. Um, there's some other information about different types of balance and that sort of thing um, that you can find on the website. We also have a Facebook page for our lab. So it's the Bones Lab uh, Facebook page. Uh, I think it's Bones Lab UW. I'd have to look, I can probably send it to you if you want to include it in the. Yeah, I'll find it and put it in the show notes for sure. Yeah, that'd be great. And then we have a YouTube channel that we're slowly adding content to. So Bones Lab is the YouTube channel. And then our lab also keeps an email distribution list where we send out information about studies and new research and stuff that people can just email me to ask to be added to if they wish. A lot of the studies we do are local, so people who are international often can't participate. But every once in a while, um, you know, there are some studies they can. And, and we also send out just information and links to videos and stuff too. So Excellent. And it does sound like finding somebody that you can work with locally is going to be the one of the biggest things or safest ways that you can go about this anyway. So looking for somebody in your in your area that really understands osteoporosis and, and exercise can be a really great place to start as well. Yeah. And if you're thinking about doing kind of a strength training program, you might want someone also who has strength and conditioning expertise, because sometimes you can go to an exercise professional, but their focus might be on, you know, aerobic training, or they might be focused on different things. They might not necessarily know how to coach the strength movements, say, for example, that they do in the Liftmore program or those other things. And so they, um, if, if you're really looking to do that type of strength training, then you would want to have someone who has that expertise as well. Right. I'm the perfect person to go to if you want to run a marathon or do a triathlon, but I'm not going to touch the osteoporosis stuff. I'm actually going to take myself to an expert such as yourself before I do anything because yeah, yeah, I was about to to drop myself off of a very high uh, 
very high lip pull up bar the other day without any sort of preamble. So have you convinced, have I convinced you that you might want to try some of those intimidating exercises with the barbells though? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a long time gym goer and I've been doing five by five protocols for, for years. So that doesn't scare me, but it is a good reminder that I need to start where I am, not where I was when I was doing those protocols, those mass made simple and all of those kinds of protocols yeah. I used to do in my forties. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, thank you very much, Laura, for coming on, on the podcast. This was excellent information. I know everybody's going to really appreciate it. And um, I hope we get a chance to connect again, maybe in the new year with the new protocols. Sure. That sounds good. Oh, thank you for listening to the Second Wind Fitness Podcast. My name is Brock Armstrong, and my guest has been Laura Jean-Gregorio. <laughs>